We're going to look together this morning at Matthew chapter 14 and the passage from verse 22, uh, where the Lord Jesus Christ walks on the water. And I want to begin reading from verse 25, Matthew 14 and verse 25. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. It was a stormy night. The wind was blowing hard. The waves were big. The disciples were weary and afraid. And into that situation, Jesus comes and he speaks to them. He doesn't say a great deal. But what he says is really significant. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. It's a personal word spoken to them in a particular situation. And uh, Jesus walking on the water was one of the miracles, just one of the amazing miracles that he performed during his ministry. Uh, He calmed the storm. He cast demons out of legion. Uh, He cured a woman who had been ill with bleeding for 12 years. He raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He fed 5,000 people with just a few loaves and fish. Amazing miracles. And they all revealed his glory. They had to do with his identity. Who is this? It's the kind of question it was asked after he did things. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And uh, he's showing his power and his love, especially to his disciples to the men whom he has called to follow him that they might understand who he is and that they might have great confidence in him because these men were being trained for a great task after the Lord had died and been raised from the dead and ascended to heaven he sent them out into the world to proclaim the gospel and they needed to know that he was with them and that he would help them and that they could trust him in every situation They were being prepared for future service. And so it is as we, uh, as Christians, understand more and more of the glory of Christ as we pass through trials and difficulties in this life, the Lord is equipping us to serve him and to have great confidence in him. And uh, so I want us to look at the passage very simply and draw out five principles that come from the passage, five things that they teach us. I wonder as you read the Bible every day, do you think, Lord, teach me. Teach me more about you. Teach me what it means to be one of your disciples. Teach me what it means to trust you. And the first obvious thing is that in the Christian life, there are storms, there are times of trial that come. And uh, they came to the disciples this particular night. And Jesus and his disciples had been involved in busy tiring ministry. In fact, when the news of John the Baptist's execution came to Jesus, he and the disciples tried to find a quiet place away from the crowds where they could rest and be refreshed and where Jesus could reflect upon the things that had happened. But it wasn't possible. The crowds followed him and uh, he taught them all day and then he fed them and the disciples distributed the food and they, they gathered up the things that were left over. And uh, it's getting near the end of the day by now. And the disciples are told by the Lord Jesus himself to to cross the Sea of Galilee. 
and uh, he tells them to go ahead of him to the other side. And so darkness is falling. They're very weary. They're in a familiar place, at least for some of them, who have been fishermen, and they've fished many nights on Galilee. They know uh, the place well. They're familiar with it. But that particular night, the journey was difficult. It took much longer than usual. It was a journey of between five and six miles. If you know Bala Lake in North Wales, Bala Lake is roughly five miles long. That sort of distance. Uh, but the wind is against them. The wind is contrary, as we read in our passage. And uh, the waves are buffeting the boat. The boat isn't a big boat. It's a small boat. There's room for them. But uh, they're very vulnerable to the waves breaking over the side of the boat. And uh, by the time Jesus comes to them, they've been about nine or ten hours uh, struggling to complete the journey. They're straining at the oars. They're pulling, and they don't feel as if they're getting anywhere. And there's a constant noise. They can hardly hear each other. And uh, they're really at their wits' ends. End. And it's a, a trial. It's a test that has come to them. And there are times in our lives when we experience storms, storms that suddenly arise, as this storm did. Galilee was like that. The wind would get up, and uh, suddenly uh, the Sea of Galilee would be uh, in storm and waves, and it was a dangerous place, and, and people died in those sort of storms. And the, the disciples who'd been fishermen knew that. Sometimes fishing communities in the north of Scotland, for instance, have known fishing boats go down within sight of land, just a short distance from land. And so there's real danger here for the disciples this particular night. And uh, sometimes we suddenly find ourselves not necessarily in the midst of a physical storm, but uh, other kinds of storms. Not, not a wind and a wave storm, but just problems and difficulties that suddenly come. And it's important to understand when that happens uh, what is happening and why it's happening. In this situation, it's quite obvious that the disciples haven't in any way been disobedient to the Lord. He has told them to get into the boat and cross to the other side. Sometimes when problems come, Christians begin to say, well, perhaps I've misunderstood. Perhaps I've disobeyed and been rebellious. And perhaps these problems are coming as a way of correcting me for the wrong that I've done. Well, those sort of things can happen. They happened to Jonah. Uh, he went in the opposite direction to the one that God had told him to go. But, but more often than not, the storms of life that come are just part of life in this world. And they come to us, different storms to different people. And uh, it's not a sign that we've disobeyed God. In the book of Acts, Paul and uh, Silas are clearly directed to go to Philippi to Macedonia, to preach the gospel. And uh, they obey God's call. But the ministry in Philippi is anything but easy. There's no synagogue to begin, but they begin with the ladies who are gathered by the river for a time of prayer. And uh, Lydia is converted. And then there's that girl with an evil spirit who's crying out after them, uh, crying out the truth, but in such a way that brings dishonor uh, upon the Lord and upon his servants. Uh, and then they're, after delivering her, they're they're thrown into prison. They're beaten. And they're in the stocks. And they're in a dark and a smelly and a terrible place. And they're praising God. And, and then there's an earthquake. And God wonderfully saves the jailer and his family. 
But if you look at their experience, you think, well, it wasn't easy, was it? When they were following the Lord's guidance. Uh, it wasn't smooth. It wasn't straightforward. All kinds of problems came. And it can be like that in our lives as well. And uh, it's a time often, as it was this night on Galilee, when the Lord draws near to us. Sometimes when trials come, we're, we're cast upon the Lord in a way that we aren't ordinarily. Much of our lives, we may be living in our own strength and according to our own wisdom and feeling that everything's going well because we're handling everything well. Um, but uh, then times come when things are happening that are outside our control. For the disciples, it was just a matter of hours, but I'm sure those hours seemed so long. And uh, they could hardly believe what they did before the storm came, nor indeed anticipate what would come after. And trials for us sometimes can be like that. Sometimes they go on for a long time. It's not just a matter of hours, but it's days and months and years and particular challenges that come to us. And the danger is sometimes when, when we're really feeling the pressure of the trial, the storm, is that we begin to feel that, that somehow Satan's in control, that he is somehow free to do whatever he likes. Because when Jesus comes to the disciples and he's walking on the lake, their first response is terror. Not fear, terror. And they say, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. They think, that's it now. The devil is coming, and he's going to destroy us. And it's a sign of how trials affect us. When we're physically tired, and the disciples were very tired, uh, they had had no rest. This particular night, they had had no sleep. And it disorientated them. And it seemed as if the, the devil was in control. Uh, and that somehow the Lord was not with them or going to help them. And uh, that makes the trial much more dark and much more difficult for us. And uh, sometimes we have a simple view of things. If things are going well, it's the Lord blessing us. If things are going wrong, it's Satan having his way with us. But Satan wasn't in control that night, except that he gave the impression that he was and made them conscious of what they thought he was doing. And they thought they felt helpless. They felt at his mercy. But they were never at his mercy. There was never a time when the Lord left them uh, for Satan to do what he wanted to do. And so not only are we not outside the will of God when trials come, but there are times actually when the Lord draws near, and that's what happens. He comes to them in the midst of the trial. When the storm is still raging, he is there. And he comes in the fourth watch of the night. The fourth watch of the night was from three o'clock in the morning till six o'clock in the morning. Uh, the psalmist speaks of watchmen waiting for the, the dawning of the morning. That last part of the night, when somehow the darkness continues, and sometimes our resources are at their lowest. But he comes, and it, it may seem to the disciples that he wasn't going to come at all. You know, we, we live in an age, don't we, when we expect things to happen immediately. If somebody sends us a message, 
They're expecting an immediate response. And five minutes later, they send us another message, just in case we didn't get the first message. And we want things to happen now. And that's true with prayer sometimes. That we pray and we, we wonder if God has heard our prayers. He has. And sometimes when he comes to us, it, it seems later than we would like. We seem to be at our wit's end. We're at the utmost verge of our need. But he comes. He comes to their aid. He helps them. He delivers them. And the Lord has heard our prayers. One man, as he comments on this passage, says, he may allow his people to be tried for a season and to be tossed to and fro by storms of trouble. He may be later than they wish in coming to their aid and not draw near till the fourth watch of the night. But never let them forget that winds and waves and storms are all Christ's servants. They cannot move without his permission. In Psalm 93, the psalmist speaks about the storms and about the Lord's sovereignty. He says, the Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. And then he says this, the floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea. How important it is to remember that, isn't it? Whatever is happening, whatever storm we are experiencing, the Lord is mightier, far mightier uh, than anything that happens to us. Nothing is too hard for him. And when I was at Theological College in Aberystwyth, uh, the building was by the pier. It's now closed as a college. But uh, some former students gave advice to students. They said, you know, when you're finding things getting on top of you, course is hard and you're busy and you've got lots of things to do, and you're there in that little building, and in that building we, uh, we slept, we ate, uh, we had fellowship together, we had all our teaching, all this one little building. They said it can be helpful to walk along the prom and climb Constitution Hill, stand on the top, and look back upon the sweep of the bay. And look at that little building that is the center of your life. And then look up, because you can see the mountains of Plinlimmon and the hills. And you see it in its context. And it's just a little place. And you know, in life, it's helpful to do that sometimes, isn't it? Just to say, well, this is a big storm. It is a big trial. But there's a bigger picture. And above all, it's a picture of the Lord and how great he is. And perhaps you're going through a trial at the moment and it's a real struggle. And uh, it hasn't stopped. And you're not sure when, it, if ever, it's going to stop. And you're feeling vulnerable in so many ways, and so were the disciples. That night was a dark night. It was a desperate night. And they knew their need of the Lord's help. And that leads us to the second thing. What was Jesus doing when the disciples were in the midst of the storm? Because uh, he put the disciples into the boat, and then he dismissed the crowd, and then he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. So Jesus is praying when the disciples are in the midst of the storm. He's having one of those times, and it happened during his ministry, when he needs to withdraw uh, and to send the crowds away, and in this case the disciples too, 
and when he can spend time with his heavenly Father. It's a reminder to us, isn't it, that we need such times too in our lives when we can put away everything that busies us and just spend time with the Lord. Well, Jesus is with his heavenly Father. He's up on a mountain and he's praying and uh, he's reflecting on everything that has been happening in his ministry. The, uh, the people, one of the gospel writers tells us, wanted to make him king. Well, he didn't want that. And his ministry is moving on quite quickly. He's almost two years into his ministry, and Calvary is something very real to him. And uh, he's seen John executed, the great forerunner, and John is dead. And he's reflecting on all these things, and, and the disciples so slow to understand what he's teaching them, and so on, so many things on his heart. And so he's spending time praying, spending time in fellowship with his heavenly Father. But I wonder whether you think of him as sort of forgetting the disciples for a while, taking a break from him. You know, if you're a parent and you've got a a young child, particularly a toddler, you know there are times when you you want to get something done or you want to get a bit of peace and quiet, so you, you put them in a chair and uh, put them in front of the television, perhaps, and you put their favorite uh, program on. And you say, now you stay there quietly because mummy's got some things to do. And then you go away and you do the things you've got to do. And it takes a bit longer than you thought. And you then think, I better just check back and see if they're all right. Uh, if it's a little girl, she's still sitting watching the television, doing exactly what you suggested she should. If it's a little boy, who knows uh, what he's got up to in that time. Uh, but do you think of Jesus like that? You know, when we want to get time to pray, we want to shut the world out and, and not to think about anything else. Do you think there was a moment in his earthly ministry when Jesus was not aware of the disciples and their need? Do you think that there is a moment now in heaven where we're told he is always interceding for us when he loses sight of us, when he doesn't know where we are, when he doesn't know what our situation is. In other words, when he was on the mountain and having finished his time of prayer, he says, now where are the disciples? No, they're in the midst of us. Look at at their boat. It's it's almost being overwhelmed by the waves. I better get to them quickly. I'd just been so taken up with fellowship with my father, I'd, I'd forgotten them for a moment. It's inconceivable, isn't it, that Jesus who came into this world to be the saviour, to give his life for the sins of his people, to train these men, would at any moment be unconscious of their need, that they wouldn't be at the heart of his praying, that he would be so taken up with him, himself and his own needs that even for a moment he would forget them because he always lives, we're told now, in heaven to intercede for us. He is always praying for us. And that's such a great encouragement, isn't it, to us when we're going through trials and difficulties and when we're waiting for the Lord to intervene, but to know that he's praying and his prayers are effective. His his prayers make a difference because he is the Son of God and God hears his prayers. His Father hears his prayers and answers them. In other words, his prayers are are safeguarding them, even when the storm is going on and he's not there. But he's praying for them. Sometimes we 
We forget to pray. In the midst of trials, we find it hard to pray. And we say, you know, I'm going through such a difficulty, I just can't concentrate on prayer. But he's praying for us all the time. There are times when we forget to pray for other people. Have you had that experience? You've been having a time of prayer and praying for people. And after you finish this time of prayer, you think, oh, I didn't pray for so-and-so. And it's often someone who's got a real need. But it, they went out of your mind. It happens in prayer meetings sometimes. Sometimes you get to the end of a prayer meeting and somebody says, oh, oh by the way, Lord, we, we forgot to pray for so-and-so. We forget. We find it hard to pray, but he never does. He's ever living to intercede for us. When we're going through the trials and difficulties, there's, there's an advocate with the Father. There's someone who's in, the Lord's, in God's presence, in his Father's presence, who's praying for us all the time. And that's why we're not overwhelmed sometimes by the situations that come, because he prays. And then thirdly, he, he comes to them, and in doing so, he shows that he's in control. He's in control of Galilee and the storm and them. In fact, he's Lord of all. He's Lord of all creation. Nothing is outside his control. Without him was not anything made that was made. He upholds all things by his powerful word. And so he comes to them and he walks on the stormy sea. It is actually the most straightforward way he could come to them. He doesn't fly to them. He walks. He walks on the water. He demonstrates that the water is subject to him and uh, the storm is subject to him. He has dominion over all created things. At the beginning of creation, God gave dominion to human beings. Uh, dominion over all the creatures of the world, all the things that are created. And uh, it's something that we see working out. We're, we're used to amazing things happening in this world, things that we we take for granted, really. If we've lived through the last 50 years or so, what amazing things have happened in that time which little people like us have been able to work out and to do. Uh, when I was with uh, UFM and travelling more, I often drove up to Heathrow. And I, I used to love to watch these big metal objects uh, in the sky coming in to land. I had to be careful on the M4 to concentrate on the motorway because you, you just saw these planes coming in. You thought, how amazing, how steady, and uh, coming in to land. And planes, human beings worked out how to do that. We think of early flight, the early attempts to fly. They were pretty primitive, weren't they? But now people go to the uh, edge of space and uh, they're planning to go to the moon again. Little people have worked out, how, just little creatures like us, have worked out how to do that because of how we've been created in the image of God. Perhaps you've got a mobile phone with you, you know, and you know that you can tap the numbers into that phone and speak to people the other side of the world immediately. How amazing. You hear about some crisis that has happened in some other part of the world and you think, I'll, I'll turn the television on so I can see some pictures. Sometimes within minutes of them happening, you, you've got pictures. And uh, they're miles, they're thousands of miles away. Or perhaps you're, you're seriously ill and you need some surg surgery. It's a big operation. You go into the Heath Hospital or wherever, and somebody has learned how to, to treat you, to put it right. And all you go on adding all the different things, many of them, 
have seen great advances just in the last few years. That's because of the dominion that God has given to human beings created in his image, to understanding his world. And, you know, sometimes when the scientists tell us what they've discovered, they don't always acknowledge that, that they didn't do it. They're just finding out how it works. There was a Christian man who was a scientist years ago, and he said he was conscious of thinking God's thoughts after him understanding God's ways, seeing how everything was made and how it works. So it should not surprise us that Jesus, who is the Son of God, the creator of all things, has absolute power over all things. And uh, so he comes to the disciples in their need. He draws near. You know, you can imagine the disciples saying, well, if only the Lord was here, but it's not possible, is it, for him to come? Because we, if only we were on land, he would be able to help us. If only perhaps it was calmer, we might be able to take the boat in and ask him to get in with us. But how can he get here? But he does. He comes walking on the water. Perhaps you say sometimes when you're in the midst of a trial, well, how can the Lord help me? I can't see how this can all be sorted out. But he has all power and all authority. The one who told them to get into the boat. The one who's been praying for them. Comes to them on the sea and he shows by the very way he comes that the situation which for them is out of control the situation which is a threat to their very lives is subject to his rule and his power because he is the son of God nothing is outside his control how we need to know that when we're going through trials and difficulties but he also speaks to them. And he says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Wonderful words. Speaking to the fear in their hearts. The storm is still raging. But he said, I'm here. You know, the presence of someone we trust can be very reassuring. I remember as a child going to shop in Queen Street in the Marks and Spencers that was there then with my mother. And uh, as I did, sometimes I, I wandered off to have a look at other things and then suddenly turned around and I couldn't see my mum. And suddenly these uh, places where they had all the goods displayed, they, they seemed a bit high and I couldn't see over the top of them. And I got quite anxious just for a very short time. And then my mother came looking for me and the moment I saw her, I felt safe. The moment the disciples saw the Lord and realized who it was, it wasn't a ghost, they felt reassured. He's with us. And that's what we need to know when we're going through serious trials, trials that are overwhelming us, trials that have perhaps come one on top of the other, because that's what happens to the disciples now. They've had a busy time. John the Baptist has been executed. Uh, there's been a busy ministry with feeding the 5,000. It's late in the day. They want to sleep and they're in the dark and they're tired and weary. And, and your problems come like that. It's one after the other, waves breaking on us. But just to know that the Lord is with us. Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Uh, a good friend of ours some years ago, uh, she was a single lady living on her own. Uh, in the morning, about six o'clock in the morning, uh, she became conscious of pains in her chest and realized she was having a heart attack. Uh, she phoned an ambulance, which came very quickly, and took her to the nearby hospital, about eight miles away, the blue lights flashing. And uh, she had a measure of relief from her pain, and then they got her out of the ambulance, and they wheeled her 
uh, into the uh, coronary care unit. And she said, as I was going into the coronary care unit, she said, suddenly, these words came into my mind. Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. She wasn't in a position to turn to her Bible and find a helpful verse. She wasn't simply trying to remember the verses that she had learned. It was the Lord bringing those words to mind in that particular situation. In other words, a sign of his presence with her by his spirit, bringing to remembrance the things that he had spoken in such a relevant way. And she said, from that moment on, I wasn't sure whether I was going to live or whether I was going to die, but I knew that I was in the Lord's hands and nothing was going to happen without him. And uh, she went in and she had treatment and she is still alive today, many years later. But what a wonderful thing that the Lord just draws near. And we don't need to read chapters of scripture. We just need those authoritative words, whatever they might be. Take courage, be strong. I'm here. Don't be afraid. And perhaps the storm in your heart today is a storm which, in which you need to hear the Lord saying that to you. Now, the storm doesn't immediately come to an end, but you know that the one who has control of all things is with you, and there is nothing to fear. In the 23rd Psalm, David says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that last enemy, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. So trials come in the Christian life. When we're going through the trials, the Lord is praying for us. And also he comes to us in those trials and he, he has all authority, has all power. He's in control. Nothing's going to happen without him. But then fourthly, uh, we see Peter being given the strength and ability to do something that ordinarily he couldn't do. Because when Peter... Uh, realizes it's the Lord. He said, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Now, I find what Peter says here absolutely amazing. I, the most I could have said was, Lord, if it is you, please get in the boat with us. Uh, and, and if you would, please calm the storm as we've seen you do it before. But Peter doesn't. Peter has a wonderful insight. You know, sometimes we look at Peter as a very fallible sort of chap who makes big mistakes. But he also has great insights. And this is one of his great insights. Lord, if you're here, and if you've got control of this whole situation, you can give me the strength that I need to do the same as you are doing. It's a pity that the Bible translations that put headings in never seem to put a heading saying, Peter walks on the water. The Lord does it, but so does Peter. Uh, and Jesus says, yes, come. Yes, and uh, Peter gets out of the boat and he, he comes towards Jesus in the midst of this storm. You know, we can learn from Peter's faith, his confidence in the Lord, because he says, if Jesus can walk on the water, so with the strength which he gives me, can I. It's a wonderful sight, insight, wonderful understanding of the significance of Jesus being there. And, you know, we need faith in the Lord, don't we, to say, Lord, this storm which is overwhelming me, 
I can overcome once you are with me. Perhaps you've had an experience of, of going through something which was so big, you would have said beforehand, I couldn't have coped with that. I hope it never happens to me. And then it did happen. And you were conscious of the Lord giving you strength. When we come to the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. And you found yourself strangely at peace and having a measure of strength to cope, rising above the problem, still going on, but he's giving you the strength that you need. And, and this is what Peter learns. And the disciples watch him. Remember, they're going to be sent out into all the world to preach the gospel to every creature. And they're going to face all kinds of trials. And perhaps there would be times when they were thinking, how can we do this? And they would say to each other, do you remember that night on Galilee? Remember when Peter walked on the water? And the Lord has promised to be with us now. So he'll give us the strength that we need. Because he gives power to those who trust him. And uh, Peter trusts him. And he gets out of the boat. And he walks towards Jesus. But then, being human as we are too, he sees the wind. He suddenly realizes, wow, the wind is strong and the waves are high. And uh, he loses sight of the Lord and the confidence he had in the Lord. And he's afraid. And fear is a devastating emotion. The moment he's afraid, instead of trusting, he begins to sink. And he begins to sink quickly and alarmingly. You know, in water, you don't go down slowly, do you? You, you plunge into water. There's no power in water to sustain us in that way. And it's a dark night and it's a deep lake. And if Peter disappears beneath the waves, they won't be able to find him. Until he cries out, Lord, save me. And immediately, it's not a lovely word, immediately, Jesus reached out his hand. He said, come, and Peter came. Peter was afraid, and he began to sink, and he cried for help, and immediately the Lord took hold of him. You know, sometimes people think, well, it would be good to learn a lesson from this. You know, wouldn't it be good if Peter went under the, the water for a while and swallowed a bit of water and, and had a little bit more terror? You know, and that would surely help him to trust more. The Lord doesn't do that. He holds him immediately. And it's a wonderful cry, isn't it? Lord, save me. That's the heart of being a Christian, isn't it? Lord, save me. We haven't got to have complicated prayers, uh, correct prayers theologically, just a sense of our need, and he is the one who is able to help us. And he does. He hears that prayer. And uh, he reaches out his hand and he, he catches him. And it's a reminder to us that the best of Christians, the best of Christian leaders are a mixture of faith and unbelief. And uh, here's Peter overwhelmed by doubt. And he plunges into the sea. And we know that experience. There are times when our eyes on the Lord and we're strong and there are times when we lose sight and we're beginning to sink. But he's able to help us and he does help us. And so we can learn from Peter's faith, we can learn from his doubt, and we can learn from the actions of Jesus. Um, because he immediately catches him. And uh, he says to him, uh, Oh, why did you doubt? Uh, why did you lose sight of me? You of little faith, why did you doubt? And there's an encouragement for us there. Peter could walk on the water with a little faith. 
because his faith was in Jesus. It's not the amount of faith that we have, but the one in whom we're trusting that is the key issue. And uh, Jesus is correcting him, he's challenging him, but he's not saying to Peter, Peter, you're rubbish. You're a total failure. It's that little question, why did you doubt? Why didn't you keep on doing what you were doing? He wants to encourage us to keep going. When our children were young, we uh, taught them to ride a bike. They came with, they got a two-wheeler with stabilizers, and they were fine with the stabilizers, and then came the time to take the stabilizers off. And I can remember our eldest son learning to do that on Roth, at Roth Park Lake, along the path by the lake. And uh, we'd taken the stabilizers off, and I was holding on to a little pannier at the back, and I was saying, now, keep pedaling, keep pedaling, and he was pedaling along fine. And then as he was doing quite well, I just relaxed my grip, and he seemed to sense it. And he turned around, and he wobbled, and he crashed. And then there was that kind of accusing look. You know, why did he let me go? I was doing so well. Well, he wasn't too badly injured, fortunately. And so I said, let's try again. And this time I'll hold on to the pannier, but I'm going to let go. But when I let go, you keep pedaling. And uh, he did. And it's a lovely moment, isn't it? If you've ever taught a child to ride a bike or to learn to swim, it's a lovely moment, isn't it, when they do it. And they realize they can do it, and they've got great confidence. That's what Jesus is saying to me, to learn that you can trust me. We're all learners. There are times when we're strong in faith and sometimes we wobble and we fall, but he wants us to keep on trusting him and to knowing the strength that he can give. And, and his care for, Jesus, for, for Peter is seen because he reaches out his hand and he catches him. And one man has a lovely comment on that. He said, Jesus wanted Peter to feel his love as well as to experience his power. He's there in Galilee. Jesus is still on top of the water and he's, he's holding him. Safe in the arms of Jesus. Arms of love. Arms of power. Arms of care. And Peter knows that he is safe. Isn't it a wonderful thing to know? Whatever trial is going on in our lives, we are safe in the arms of the Saviour, and nothing in all creation can separate us from his love. So trials come, they come to us all. When we're in the trials, Jesus is praying. He has total control over every situation, even if we feel overwhelmed. And he can also give us the strength to rise above the trial and to be sustained. And then lastly and briefly, at the end of it all, they worship him. They worship him. Because when they climb into the boat, the wind dies down, and those who are in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Caesarea Philippi in chapter 16 is anticipated. Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Peter says. Peter, who's had that experience on Galilee, says that. But they all said, Truly, you are the Son of God. That's amazing. What has happened? And we're safe, and the storm is over, and the Lord is with us, and everything is well. And now we know who you are. You're not a prophet. Uh, you're not a great religious leader. You're not John the Baptist come back. You're the Son of God, the eternal Son of God. And that's why they worship him, and there's a sense of awe. Have you had an experience sometimes when you've gone through a great trial, and, and the Lord has brought you through it? 
and you worship him. You thank him. You praise him from the very bottom of your heart. I think one of the reasons why we find it hard to worship God when we meet week by week is because we don't have a sense of our need, of our need of him in every way, at every time in our lives. We're always needy people and worship always arises from a sense that the Lord who is Lord over all is the one who has helped us and come near to us. There's something very interesting about this particular miracle. Many of the miracles of Jesus were witnessed by other people, by the crowds sometimes. But this miracle happened on Galilee, in the dark, and it was only Jesus and the disciples who were there. In other words, when they worshipped him, they realised that what he had done, he had done just for them. Just for them. The love and power of the Son of God exerted for the benefit of these men, these frail men. And you know, that lies at the heart of, of our Christian experience. You know, we pray, and we know that there are between seven and eight billion people in the world. But we know that our Heavenly Father hears our prayers. The world is too busy for us. We, we hang on for a long time on telephone calls being told how important we are and your call is important to us. But he knows us. And we see answers to our prayers. But when we pray as a church, we pray for people in the church who are going through trials and difficulties and we believe that he hears our prayers because we are precious to him. Not because we're inherently precious, but because we're precious because he has redeemed us. And he cares about us. So they're overwhelmed by two things. What he has done, but the fact that he's done it for them. And sometimes we can say, well, of course, they were the disciples, weren't they? They were the twelve. Of course he helped them. But what he did for them, he does for every believer. However ordinary you might feel you are, however insignificant you might be in the eyes of the world, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour, his Power is exerted for your good. He hears your prayers and he answers your prayers. And nothing is too hard for him. And perhaps this morning the words which you need to hear in your own personal situation is these words that he speaks to the disciples. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Amen. Well, let's sing... Hymn number 702 in the hymn book. O safe to the rock that is higher than I, my soul in its conflicts and sorrows would fly.
Please be seated. The Prince of Glory died. the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us today and abide with us until our Lord calls or comes and then forevermore. Amen.